This is Pup's private eye. I'm not here right now. Please leave a message. Hunt, it's Tracy. There's an unsolved Misper case in Bradford. A priest who disappeared without trace in 1953. You're going to have to peek under the Iron Curtain and behind the confessional for help with this one. And punt. Tread carefully out there on the moor. As Tracy knows, missing persons cold cases are a speciality of mine ever since I failed to locate an army of thousands of ancient Britons buried somewhere along the A5. This time, it was the city of Bradford, historic home to many wool mills, and just the place to spin a yarn. A strange story of a priest who vanished without trace. A story which surely would have made the news at the time. And sure enough, the BBC's newsreel archive lays out the known facts in dramatic fashion. One Monday evening in July, nine years ago, a man left his first floor back room in this lodging house, walked out of the door, down the path, through the gate, and turned right up this road, Little Horton Lane, a road that leads out of the centre of Bradford. So he walked out of his house alone. The man was well built, about five foot ten inches tall, weighed 14 stone and wore glasses. He was 42 years old, unmarried, and had been in Bradford for 10 months. This 14-stone man of the cloth was called Henrik Berinski, and he had come to Yorkshire from Poland, which had fallen under communist rule when the Iron Curtain came down at the end of the war. When he got to this spot here, he disappeared, vanished into the thick, sooty air of Bradford on a quiet July evening in 1953. Seems unnecessarily harsh on the air quality of the city, but the story's clear enough. A man had disappeared into thick air, and the media was not short of theories. First, that he was a communist agent spying on this alien community, and he'd gone back home to report. Secondly, that he was an anti-communist who'd been kidnapped by the communists. Thirdly, that he was a communist who'd gone soft. Hang on, I'm still only on the second one. Wait a minute, I've got to write this down. He was an anti-communist communist who was not a communist anti-communist. You're going too fast. As far as I know, that reporter is still going on with that list to this day. I, however, want to establish what we know for sure. And newspaper reports from the time make it clear that the details come from a witness, Father Barinsky's housekeeper, Irina Beck who saw Berinsky leaving the house after taking a phone call. She's since passed away, but Regina Tian remembers her well. She calls Irina Kucha, Polish for auntie, and as a little girl was often looked after at Irina's house. I arranged to meet Regina to see if any memories of that fateful evening in July 1953 had been handed down. Yes, that the phone rang and she got a sense that there was something unusual about that phone call, something almost foreboding. He spoke very quietly and just one sentence, OK, I'll go. So he said, OK, I'll go. Did he say that in Polish? He said it in Polish. Dobrze, no idem. The phrase, OK, I'll go, suggests that the person he's talking to is not necessarily going to be there. It sounds more like he's being sent somewhere. And then he turned to her, picked up his hat, 
and his coat and said, I'll be back later, don't wait for me, and left. I almost imagine him going out with a stoop, a heavy heart, so to speak, and that she was left with something wasn't quite right. Definitely that was a night that never left her. She used to talk about a father Bolinsky with great respect and sadness and sigh about the fact that nobody knows what happened to him. And he left his identity papers behind, suggesting he did indeed intend to be back. His church is a short walk from Little Horton Lane. Could that offer any clues? So this is St Joseph's in Bradford. Every church of Poles used, as you see behind you, there's a copy of the icon of Our Lady of Chancellor Hover, the Black Madonna. It certainly would have been there in the times of Father Bolinski and, of course, Canon Martinellis. Canon Martinellis, I discover, was serving the thousands of Polish emigres in the city when Borinsky arrived to replace him. My father only spoke to Father Borinsky twice, but it's his reputation. Jan Nietzscheparovich is from the Polish community that settled in the Leeds-Bradford area after the war. A good organiser, a very friendly fellow, assiduous in visiting the sick and sorting out many of the problems which a relatively new community had settling in. A well-loved parish priest. He was a very educated man. He was clever and plenty of humour. He liked very much children and youth. And did the children like him? Children very much liked him. So what did Bradford's Polish community think happened to Father Borinsky? The theory which, I suppose, appeased the Polish community was that he was kidnapped by agents from the Eastern Bloc. Kidnapped by agents? But why? Remember, in the 1950s, the time of the Cold War. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. A lot of the Poles felt insecure here. They did not know whether they would ever return to a free homeland. That, that was their dream. Father Borinsky, some of his sermons were obviously critical of communism, but that's nothing new. I remember hearing, shall we say, vaguely anti-communist sermons in Leeds. Those were the times. I wish there was a spark of evidence so that the mystery of Father Borinsky's disappearance could be solved, at least to find out where his body's buried. But there's nothing at all to give credence to any theory. As any good detective would say, never let a complete absence of evidence put you off. However, in order to get any warmer on this Cold War cold case, I needed a bit more background on the summer of 1953. <laughs> Professor Simon Ball from the University of Leeds knows the period well, and when it comes to events behind the Iron Curtain, I'm quickly riveted. 1953, you couldn't have chosen a more fascinating date in the Cold War. It's in March 1953, Stalin dies, the leader of the Soviet Union dies, and that throws everything into chaos. Stalin's dead. He's dead. Stalin is dead! In early June 1953, there is a workers' uprising against the communists in Berlin, which is savagely repressed. And at the end of June 1953, 
there is an internal coup in the Soviet Union. The Poles are absolutely terrified that unrest will spread from Germany into Poland and are in the middle of a crackdown in Poland. The Soviet secret police is in a state of utter unrest at this time. So, nervous authorities and power struggles are going on within the communist bloc. But how did any of this affect Bradford? Retired police inspector Martin Baines has come forward to share information he got from his father Harry, who had served in British military intelligence in post-war Germany. When he came back to Bradford, uh, my father tells a story that at the time Father Berinsky disappeared, he was at a bus stop in, in Bradford, and he turns around and he sees a gentleman who he had dealings with in Germany. Right. Okay. And he was known to be uh, somebody who was working for the NKVD, which is basically the Russian secret intelligence service in Germany. So he saw this gentleman at the bus stop and he turned round and asked him for a cigarette in Russian. He asked him for Papa Rossi. And the gentleman was a bit startled and my father said to him, what are you doing here? Right. Because he was surprised to see him here in Bradford, bearing in mind, you know, this guy was quite a prominent operative for the uh, Russian NKVD. Right. And what was he doing in Bradford? Yeah. And he didn't really get a straight answer out of him, right. as you can imagine. Yeah. So my me, me father took a note of that, and, and this gentleman, I think, was called Bogdan Shavinsky. Of course, Father Berinsky disappears. Yeah. And my father puts two and two together and thinks... I wonder if this chap's been involved in the disappearance. So he came down to the local police station, which is about 50 yards from where we stood here, and he reported the sighting of this chap. Right. And what was the police's reaction? They made a note of it, never came back to him. He never heard anything again. But my father was absolutely convinced all his life that Bogdan had actually come specifically here to Bradford to assassinate Father Berinsky. This gives us a sighting from around the time of Father Berinsky's disappearance of a known Soviet agent in Bradford waiting for a bus, indicating, if nothing else, that a Russian spy's travel expense allowance was not as generous as you might have assumed. It may all sound unlikely, but according to Simon Ball, it's definitely no joke. The Soviets had instituted a campaign of assassination centred on emigre organisations and they're particularly concerned with refugee groups, i.e. those people who are displaced at the end of the Second World War. So what they do is they infiltrate those groups with their own agents and they most definitely use assassination as a tool to remove people that they see as dangerous. But how dangerous could one priest in Yorkshire have been? And why? And to who? There was no shortage of rumours. Sixthly, that he was an anti-communist who'd done such good work here... I even came across Dan Brown-style theories about secret missions for the Vatican. But seventhly, I want something a bit more solid and head for the local library archive, which has a file marked Berinsky with press cuttings and some photos. He's a sort of big, broad shoulders, round glasses, swept back hair. And then I found this. The front page of the Yorkshire Post... 
The headline reads, Soviet assassin says I killed Bradford Priest, which is a pretty dramatic headline. Uh, a professional Soviet assassin has confessed to the murder of Father Henrik Berinsky, who disappeared mysteriously from Bradford nine years ago. So that would mean this is from 1962. The killer is reported from Bonn, West Germany, to have said he killed the priest with an injection of cyanide and buried the body on Ilkley Moor. Astonishing. Bogdan Stashinsky, a professional killer who last year fled to West Berlin, was sentenced to eight years hard labour for political murder. Among victims he is now named is Father Marinsky. In court at Karlsruhe, Stashinsky claimed he had been forced to act on orders of the highest Soviet authorities. The highest Soviet authorities. There it is in black and white in the Yorkshire Post. Bogdan Stashinsky, the same man who Harry Baines had named as the one standing at the bus stop. I quickly learn from Comrade Google that Stashinsky is one of the Soviet Union's most notorious assassins and the inspiration for Ian Fleming's Man with the Golden Gun. After defecting to the West in 1961, he became a briefly notorious figure confessing to various crimes using weapons, including cyanide darts. His case file, all right, his Wikipedia entry, states that he was recruited into the KGB in 1950 after being arrested for travelling without a ticket on public transport and agreeing to act as an informer in order to gain release. So it's interesting he was spotted at a bus stop. Maybe he was trying the same tactic, get done for fair dodging, go over to MI6. Did this literal Bond villain really target a parish priest in Bradford? According to the newspaper account, Stashinsky claimed to have buried Berinsky's body on Ilkley Moor, a half-hour's drive from the city. I went with Martin Baines to visit this potential crime scene. You've seen the size of the moor. And, and what it's like in this bracken here, which is knee-deep uh, at this point. And how easy it would be to bury somebody here and not leave a trace. This is where the confession says the body's buried. Would, mm. would it strike you as likely? Do you think it's likely that it is buried here? Anywhere else, I think there would be a very strong likelihood the body would be found. From my experience of police searches, unless you've got precise information about where that person may be buried. You know, it's a very big moor. You're looking literally for a needle in a haystack. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever find out where Father Berinsky is buried. And and did your father ever talk about what he thought the motive was? I mean, what, why did this man kill Berinsky? People in the Polish community here were openly critical of the way the Russians had moved into Poland and set up a communist government. Yeah. And I think from that point of view, we're obviously vulnerable to this sort of thing. I think uh, clearly Father Berinsky was somebody who was outspoken. And, and it sounds like he paid the price for that. There's almost total quiet on car there. It's all very pretty, uh, which is rather ironic because this story is not pretty at all. Something didn't feel right to me. 
Berinsky, don't forget, was fourteen stone, and it would have taken a very strong man to move him very far. And you can't drive a car onto Ilkley Moor. I then found out that Bogdan Stashinsky is the subject of a biography written by a Harvard professor, Sergei Polky. I asked him about the assassin super spy's known movements at the time in question. The weather is fine, and we、uh, are、uh, yeah, not too much sun, not windy. He was replying in secret code. I wondered if our phone line was tapped. We switched to a back-channel secure line. Is this better or not? Yes. What was Bogdan doing in 1953? In 1953, when that happened, Bogdan Stashinsky was undergoing training in Kiev in a special KGB school. It was a two-year course, and in、uh, February of this year, six volumes of his personal case of his personal file. Uh, made available by the Ukraine's foreign intelligence service, and there we have almost day by day what he was doing in Kiev at that time. Reports about the classes that he was taking, the surveillance that he was under, and so on and so forth. And one thing that we know is that he didn't speak English; that they were giving him lessons in German.、Uh, Germany eventually became the country where he worked. So he was in Kiev at the time when all of that happened. That makes this theory about him killing Brinsky not just suspicious, but really it becomes an impossibility. So Stashinsky was in KGB finishing school at the time and didn't speak English, making him an odd choice to dispatch on a mission to England. But what of that confession to killing Brinsky, as reported in the Yorkshire Post in 1962? Along with the other political murders he was convicted of, it was October 1962. It was at the height of the Cold War. Regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba. The Caribbean crisis was there as an attack by the Soviet Union. The first the James Bond movie was released. The details of what happened and how he killed those people became available. During the trial, and that was a really unique testimony and revelation about how how the system works. So, everyone was paying attention to that, and whatever unsolved cases were there, the tendency was to try to explain them through this testimony of Stashinsky, or maybe attribute that to Stashinsky. None of which explains Harry Bain's encounter at the bus stop, but whichever Russian operative he spotted in Bradford in 1953, it almost certainly wasn't Stashinsky. Who was only 22 and still studying hard at Assassin Academy. Until the late 60s, yeah, mass was celebrated in all Western Catholic churches in Latin. Yes, every day, Father Berinsky would have said those words at the beginning of his mass. Here in St. Joseph's. When it came to solving this case, I was beginning to feel like I didn't have a prayer. I thought back to the eyewitness account and Father Brinsky's words to his mystery phone caller. Okay, I'll go. Go where? Who was he talking to? Who would be asking a priest to go somewhere? Someone else within the church, perhaps. I remembered that Berinsky had arrived at St Joseph's as a replacement for another Polish priest. Father Martin Lee should have been replaced earlier on. Right. 
But, um, well, he refused to budge. So I can assume there will be a little bit of jealousy there. And plus, you've got the, not the new kid on the block, but the new priest in the parish. So no doubt, well, there was certainly some resentment by the older priest, Canon Martinellis, yeah. who, who virtually refused to move. In the Yorkshire Film Archive, I find corroboration of Jan's view of an uneasy relationship between the two priests. An interview with Chief Superintendent Philip Cheshire of Bradford Police. Was there any acrimony or bitterness at all between the two priests, between Berinsky and Martinellis? A certain amount. A certain amount, but I think not on Father Berinsky's part. So there was acrimony, but all one way. Still, a bit of clerical resentment hardly equals motive for murderous intent, you would have thought. Was Martinellis a police suspect? He certainly exhibited some rather suspect behaviour. We had a message several days afterwards to say that Father Martinellis had been attacked by two men and was unconscious. And on the table, set out in matchsticks, were the words Milch Klecko. And translated into English, we found out that this meant keep silent priest keep silent priest written in matchsticks this was a scene that demanded the full weight of detective observation and deduction so i looked around and in the pantry i found a matchbox and there were very few matches in there but it was obvious that no matches had been struck and counting the 30 odd matches that made up these two words with the those remaining in the matchbox it made up the average contents of a matchbox so then, of course, we had to step on his toes a bit. Ah, the old good cop, bad cop, tread on his toes cop routine. The police clearly believed that any criminals intent on spelling out a warning in matchsticks would have brought their own box. Had Martinellis invented the whole thing? Eventually, it took some time, he admitted that he hadn't been attacked, that he'd made it up. Well, he hadn't been attacked by criminals anyway, although he did have sore toes. Then we thought it was a good opportunity to press him about Father Berinsky, and we did that. But, of course, in view of the fact that he'd had a message there, keep silent, please, we thought, well, we're... Uh... It was a message to himself. It was a message to himself. We thought, we're on a loser here. Had Martinellis forgotten the golden rule that if you play with matches, you're going to get burned? Ex-police detective Bob Taylor has looked into the case and the matchbox, and he met me outside Martinellis's old house to share his suspicions about his involvement. Given the mysterious disappearance, Martinellis is suddenly under, he's under the microscope. Mm. So I looked on that as uh, him trying to just deflect it away from himself. Right. Actually, rather than trying to deflect, yes. what Martinellis is sort of doing there is giving a very big clue something nasty has happened here and there are nasty people involved and i know something and i've been told to be quiet yeah that's my reading of it that it actually works against him because his best option if that really did happen would have been to say nothing and just keep quiet martin ellis's bizarre behavior whether prompted by fear or guilt or both muddied the waters even further in what became a national story Berinsky's disappearance even prompted a question in parliament however the classified files about the Berinsky case were only released in 2012. Uh, right, so we're heading down into, uh, into the bowels of the earth. So a trip to the National Archives might show me who else's toes might have been trodden on. There are three folders worth of letters, reports and memos. Oh, look at this. 
one of which tackles the assassin theory. This is stated 1st of November 1962, that the KGB agent Bogdan Stashinsky had confessed to the murder by injection of cyanide of Father Henry Berinsky, that he'd buried Berinsky's body on Ilkley Moor. I ring Superintendent Gales to tell him nothing was known, either in MI5 or MI6, of Stashinsky's alleged confession. I suggested that the story was a newspaper stunt by an enterprising Yorkshire Post reporter. I'm tempted to say short shrift for Stashinsky, except that's very hard to say. But on the subject of our other suspect, the tone changes. Leaders of the Polish community, all serious and responsible people, lists a few of them, are solidly convinced that Father Martinellis, the former incumbent of the parish, together with certain associates, brought about the murder of Father Berinsky. It is felt that the recent behaviour of Father Martinellis indicates a very uneasy conscience. This is correspondence between Oberon Herbert, a leading advocate of East European causes, and the deputy director of MI5. Inquiries about Berinsky's trips to London have not disclosed any sinister side to his character, nor have we gathered any information about the 60 pounds of caustic soda bought by Martinellis. Of the six theories put up, like the police, I still favour that of murder. We do not know how far the police have pursued the logical steps on this line, but I should have thought they could have expended some energy on interrogating the supporters of Martinellis, and not quite so much on that rascal himself. As suggested by Mr Herbert, they might even yet dig up some cellars. This quantity of soda will dissolve a body underground in about six weeks it says in the margin. In that locality, however, I believe there are many easier ways of disposing of a body. And someone's noted we should not comment on this. Having spent an hour in the basement here at the National Archives looking through the files, the thing that's most surprised me is how much focus there was on Martinellis at the, the time. He seems to have been the police's main suspect there's a lot of very strong language about him and that, that detail about the, the 60 pounds of caustic soda, which I hadn't heard before, it really feels like he was the number one suspect at the time. And there's nothing about Soviet agents at all. That was clearly a later invention. Nothing about Soviet agents, but historian Simon Ball had mentioned that refugee groups were being infiltrated at that time. Was Martin Ellis persuaded, wittingly or unwittingly, to make that phone call to lure Berinsky out? Was he in some way involved? Probably not directly, but I'm sure that Father Martin Ellis could have told us something that would have cleared up the whole matter. In my report back to Tracy, I have to make a confession of my own that we will probably never know exactly what happened to this much-loved priest who tended to a community cut off from their homeland when the Iron Curtain came down. Neither the police or the Secret Services cracked it, and in the end, the matchsticks were almost right. Whoever it was that knew the truth about the priest did keep silent. <laughs>